Hello, friends, and welcome back to this episode of God's Planning. My name is Father Patrick Briscoe. My name is Father Bonaventure Chapman. Thanks to all of you who support the show by donating to us on Patreon. If you haven't already, like and subscribe to God's Planning wherever you listen to your podcast. Leave us a five-star review. It really helps people find our project. It could be your way of spreading the good news and the love of our Lord Jesus. Today, we have an excellent guest. We're very happy to be joined by Father Vasek, who's joining us from the USCCB's Eucharistic Revival. So the fun part about all of this is that Father Bonaventure are, and I are on opposite sides of the Dominican House of Studies, and Father Vasek is just behind us in our backyard right now. So welcome. Thank you very much for having me, guys. I don't think you understand. Like, if I could, if we could have been in studio, it would have been a dream of mine. I am a major lover of the Dominican Order. I studied in at the uh, at the Angelicum in Rome, and I I would just love to be in the house with you guys. In fact. Father Patrick, you still owe me an invite for dinner. I do, definitely. <laughs> That's it. We're holding to it. So, folks, you heard it here. It's, there's going to be a, a dinner with Father Vasek and Father Patrick. Um, and maybe we'll sell tickets to that because that'll be an exciting time. So, <laughs> I'm going to owe you more by the time this episode is over, I think. <laughs> yeah. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? You know, part of what we love um, when we have guests on the show is we, we just get to introduce people to the great Catholic leaders of our day. And so pe people will be interested to know a little bit about your story and about how you landed working on this great project, the Eucharistic Revival. Yeah, I'm a priest of the Diocese of Crookston, uh, which is a real diocese. Um, a lot of people are like, where's that? What diocese <laughs> is that in? It's a real diocese in Northwest Minnesota, very rural, uh, it's home for me. And um, I went to college for architecture, but then had a conversion, went off to seminary, studied in Rome at the Angelicum, St. Thomas Aquinas. I've uh, been a priest for just about 13 years. And um, most recently, I was working at the University of Mary as a chaplain for an athletic department, a Division II athletic department, which was a ton of fun. Um, but I, went, I was on a 30-day retreat two years ago. And the Lord was impressing upon me. I wasn't trying to go here. I was just trying to be present to the retreat. And he was moving me to, uh, to this place where by day five, I, uh, I wanted to go around the country proclaiming the kerygma. And I didn't know what to do with it. It was burning in me as I left the retreat. A couple months later, I got a phone call from someone saying, hey, uh, would you be willing to be a preacher for the National Eucharistic Revival? And I said, well, what is that? Yes, but what does it mean? We'd like for you to go and preach the kerygma, a uh, kerygmatic proclamation of the Eucharist around the country. And I was like, spot on. So uh, so that's where that began. And then um, then Bishop Cousins became the Bishop of Crookston, and he's overseeing the revival. And there was a priest who was working for the revival who got upgraded at the USCCB. And so they had a spot available. And he said, well, you're already one of the preachers. You're on the executive team. Why don't you go and, and do this work? And I said, it's an honor. It's a joy. It's a, it's a privilege. Um, so that's how it all kind of came along uh, in, in God's providence and in other people's discernment and uh, and i'm really honored it's such a noble and holy um endeavor the national eucharistic revival so i'm, I'm honored to serve it that's great and father when when did the eucharistic revival just to remind all of our listeners or many of our listeners are familiar with it but what's the time frame of this and what uh, and just the rough outlines of the revival itself and for them yeah, so the, the people who are paying attention to it internally say that it began in 2021, um, and that was mm -hmm. year zero because they had to start planning. Uh, but 22, 
to 23, June 22 to June 23 is year number one, diocesan year, where we're working with dioceses and um, chancery offices to help them get ready for what we think is the, the touch point year, which is coming up now this summer, this June Corpus Christi through 2024, July, is uh, the parish year, year number two, the parish year, which we think is the most, yeah, it's the place where it really happens. You know, that's where parish life takes place or Christian life takes place in the parish. And then the third year uh, will be Next July, we'll have uh, the National Eucharistic Congress, the first one in many, many years since uh, the Second World War. Um, and from 2024 to 2025 will be the third year of the institutional revival, which we're calling a missionary sending year. So that's the kind of the, the three-year timeline institutionally. But as Bishop Cousins is saying, this is not a program. We're hoping to start a fire. So I, I look at it more like we're we're, we're we're pressing a match to the dioceses for a year and see what, what takes flame. We're, we're putting a match to the parishes for a year and see what takes flame. And we're, and we're putting a match to uh, kind of any, anyone of goodwill for a year. And we're seeing what catches flame and hopefully that fire just, just goes. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really helpful to a lot of people who maybe have expected from the Eucharistic revival, something more programmatic, you know, a, li a list of, a list of do's and don'ts. Um, certainly some resources have, have been prepared and we could talk a little bit about those as we get through the program here. But, but, um, but I think at the outset, you know, you've described, you've described the project as a pe petition to God that he would bring about a revival. What does that what does that mean for us? Um, because you know, I hear the word revival, and I think Protestants in a tent in the 19th century, and uh, I don't know I don't know what that has to do with the Catholic project in the 2020s. Um, so, so if you could if you could kind of bridge that gap, I think for our listeners, that would be great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great. Um, I wasn't there in the beginning, um, but Bishop Barron and Bishop Cousins were. Um, so I'd have to ask them again you know, to remind me of, of the language because um, there was an idea of maybe calling it, you know, Eucharistic renewal or Eucharistic rekindling, Eucharistic whatever. And they landed on revival. Um, so uh, I believe that uh, words matter. And if it's called a revival, then it ought to be one. Um, so uh, it's a Eucharistic revival, but I think a lot of people just kind of leave it as at Eucharist. And they forget about revival. Uh, and so they'll talk mm. about like, well, let's, let's talk about the Eucharist more. And it's like, yeah, we probably should talk about the Eucharist more. We should probably talk about the Eucharist in, a, in an even better way, catechetically and programmatically. Um, but that's not what this is. This is a Eucharistic revival. The people who started it call it that. And uh, revival, I think, simply means uh, to bring to life again. So something that is either dead or tending towards death, sick, let's say, um, to revive it means that you bring it back to the full life that it ought to be. And in this case, it's not the Eucharist that we're doing that to. <laughs> it's, it's not that we're reviving the Eucharist, but it is a He's revival. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a revival. So our nation, either dead or sick or tending towards death or whatever the thing might be, we recognize by the stats and the and the studies, seventy percent of the of our faithful don't believe what Catholics believe. Well, that's a, that's at least a sickness. That's a, that's a death for many people. It's a kind of a sickness for the church, we could say. And so um, those kinds of things, you know, twenty to thirty percent of people go to mass on Sunday. Well, there should be a hundred percent. A hundred percent of Catholics should go, and in fact, a hundred percent of 
of Americans should go. Well, that's not happening. So we're not in a place where we ought to be as a Christian nation or Christian church, right? Uh, so that's, when I think about revival, that's what I'm yeah. thinking about, that the Lord Jesus needs to breathe life back into us and bring us to the mm-hmm. place we're supposed to be. I like this, yeah, and uh, Father, I love this this revival aspect, reminding us the Eucharistic revival, the revivification, so the re- the bringing back to life. Uh, not of the Eucharist, of course, he's fine, um, but, yeah. he, but us being receiving <laughs> of the Eucharist, and that's the first step. But then the second one, which you mentioned, is it's not just about thinking better about the Eucharist or more about the Eucharist, or this, that's helpful, the doctrines and transubstantiation thing, but the, remembering that this, how we think affects how we live, what we know affects what we love, and that the aim of this this revival is not just knowing more about the Eucharist and then you say speaking better about it, but reviving our living practice of the faith such that if you know what the Eucharist is and how wonderful it is to have the chance to be with our Lord and to have our Lord enter you in the sacramental way, then of course you're going to go to Mass, of course you're going to go to adoration, of course you're going to stop at the chapel. You're going to change your life because of this belief that you're – and it's going to revive – the people and our practices with that. So I love that. And there's a bit of the, the kind of the, we should say the new evangelization. So John Paul II talked about, St. Pope John Paul II talked about re-evangelizing, these kind of re-words on everything, uh, those who might know. And because those Catholics who, who deny the 70%, many of them might think they know what the Eucharist is, but they need to be reminded uh, so they could be revived by this thing. So how do you see this as a prolongation or a part of the new evangelization? Yes, we are, we're saying that um, another word that we're using, not just re- revival, but we're also using uh, rekindling or kindling. Um, mm-hmm. And we're saying that we're kindling or rekindling a living relationship with Jesus, right? The, the savior of the human race um, who uh, a person could... Um, misunderstand where he is uh, or how they have access to him. Um, mm-hmm. He is, he's, he's dead. And so he's uh, maybe he never rose. And so we just kind of think about him. Well, that's, that's not Christian, but a person could think that, or he, he rose, but then he left us in the Ascension. And so we're like, he's far away. And so, you know, I can like look up and maybe, maybe hope to, that he hears me when I pray or, um, which is, he sure has. He has ascended, but he did not distance himself from us as he ascended. Um, or that he, he dwells in my heart. And so with either literally uh, or spiritually, and there's all these different ways that we, that we speak about uh, where Jesus is um, and how I can have a relationship with him. And all of them are helpful in their own way if they're, if they're actually helpful, you know, real, true ones. Um, but, but, a lot of people just think that that's, that's kind of it. And uh, that's not it. He truly has communicated in some mysterious way. He truly has communicated his presence uh, in the Holy Eucharist. So that when I uh, am at Holy Mass or when I go before a tabernacle, it's, it's, it's actually him. Uh, and I can really have a, a relationship with Jesus here. Uh, in his sacramental presence, and so I think um, I think some people think that sacrament means pretend. <laughs> I, 
I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know how else to say it in a nice way, but like that's uh, like yeah. magic. You know, he's really present. We're like he's really present in heaven, but like he's sacramentally present on earth. And it's like, oh yeah, like mm-hmm. pretend presence. It's like no. Mm-hmm. So, so I was like, I was working through some words, and I thought maybe you guys could help me, but like sacramactual or like sacramentactual. Uh, I'm trying to. I'm trying to think. Actual. Wow. Yeah. He's act. He's actual by the sacrament. Wow. Yeah. Sacrament actual. Yeah. That's great. Sacrament actual. I like that. Yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah. Anyway, I think that's, that's, um, that's what we're that's what we're up to here is we're trying to mm-hmm. we're trying to uh, bring people into concrete relationship with Jesus, but not thinking that somehow that's distant. It's concrete relationship mm-hmm. with Jesus, and he's and he's he's truly present in the he's here. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. He's sacramentally present. Sacramentally. Yeah. Yeah. I'm working on that, yeah. It's a German phrase, basically, yeah. That's absolutely how German works, right? We just line yeah. all the words up just together. Just slam them together. Them quickly. Yeah. yeah, sacrament, actually. Yeah. So, you know, as we've been, as we've been suggesting, you know, the understanding that, that Christ is really there present in the Eucharist has consequences. You know, it's going to shape the way that we live. Um, you know, we've, when we've been talking about the revival, I think a lot of people have heard emphasis on um, the fact that, you know, Catholics um, have some unclarity or an inability to express the doctrine of the real presence. So a lot of people are like, okay, check, you know, got that one. Um, they know that that's a theme. But w- what else is in the mix here? What, what are other Eucharistic themes that people should be talking about and thinking about during the revival? Yeah, what I've been finding is that um, either yeah, either person. This is we tend towards this in our whole life. That um, when we latch onto something, we kind of latch onto it and put other things in opposition to it, even if they don't need to be. Um, so we mm-hmm. we focus too much on one thing, or we focus on one thing and say, then therefore we ought not focus on another thing, or you know this kind of list goes on. And we're seeing that play out during the revival. If you you know if we look at the news, we're seeing things. We're like, well, don't talk about that. You should be talking about this. Like, well, yeah, but they're both. Like, why are we doing that? Or, um, you know, it's like, no, but it's really this, this, this. And so, like, everything else needs to kind of fade away. It's like, well, why are we doing that? So um, we're trying to lift up all of the uh, traditional or, you know, theological or dogmatic themes uh, that we hold as Catholics. And I've got something for you guys. Uh, Just today, uh, a friend of mine told me about the six genuses of St. Albert the Great at the end of his life when he, when he was at the council bored out of his mind uh, and he wrote a book on the presence on the body of the Lord. This just happened today. Mm-hmm. And then he talked about the six genuses. I think this book came out from CUA Press in 2017. But that Albert would hold up, a good Dominican, grace, gift, food, communion, sacrifice, sacrament. And that's the six uh, realms that he thought that we need to speak about when we're speaking about the the sacrament or the Eucharist. And I was like, this was just this morning. A guy told me this. I'm like, I'm, I'm bringing this to Dang, the Dominicans cool. this afternoon for yeah. sure. That's that's probably from that must be from Bernard, Father Bernard Blankenhorn's book on uh, on Saint Albert the Great and a mystical a mystical theologian and such. Man, we should make Albert the, a doctor of the Church or something. It sounds like he's got some good stuff to say. <laughs> Smart guy, yeah, yeah, not bad. Yeah. Didn't that's he have good. a really famous I'm, I'm student eager. too? I think. He yeah. did. He had a famous student, and I have to say, we're just going to hijack this for a second for St. Albert the Great, because he's a patron saint of teachers, or ought to be, uh, in this way that um, he he died after St. Thomas Aquinas died. Um, and so when St. Thomas died, he was immediately under condemnation in Paris, and Albert wandered from 
Cologne in Germany, he's 80 or 79 years old at this point, wandered himself to Paris to defend his student uh, from, from condemnation on matters that he disagreed with. <laughs> so Thomas is being condemned for holding positions against Albert. And Albert goes, wanders, and defends his student because he loves him so much, even though he disagrees with them about these matters. Uh, that, that's a, that's a teacher. That's a saint. That is a total saint. But uh, back to this revival business. Um, Father, so um, in the current setting, of course, we're just coming out of co- – it's amazing to think – that we're just coming off COVID, but there's still people, some people still wear masks. There's still signs of COVID around. Hopefully it's going away pretty soon. But uh, COVID hurt a lot, I think, uh, for the Eucharist uh, experience. I mean, there's, it needs to be a revivification, not just because of the lack of faith before that, but wow, was it a tough one, uh, couple of years for Catholics who, for all sorts of reasons we don't need to get into, didn't have a res- experience and reception of the Eucharist um, and, and all the, the pains and the, the, the deprivation of that. And, uh, you know, distance makes the heart grow fonder. So hopefully this is when you're striking those matches, there's, there's Tinder here ready to go. But what do you think? How does you think this relates to that, the COVID time and bringing us back? Is this a, is there a sort of old Felix culpa on a sort of silver lining that this is the right time now to do this? Do you think that was in the background and, and how does that play into this? For sure. It's in the background, um, because, uh, Bishop Barron, who was committee chair at the time said, let's, let's do this. Um, and then, and then COVID happened. Um, mm. and so right when the, as the bishops were hoping to do this, um, COVID happened. And so then it was like, okay, now, now we really need to do this. Like it was all, mm-hmm. it was already necessary and now it's like uber necessary. And so there's, there is a, an anointedness in a way, there's anointing in a way and timing, but also like, I don't really mm-hmm. want to lift up COVID as a, as a blessed time that way. So, so yeah, they were, the bishops were already thinking we yeah. need to do something. And then there was an even greater reason to be like, we really need to do something. And so this comes right on the heels of COVID time. Um, and uh, yeah, the revival. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a direct response to all of mm-hmm. the bad um, studies, but, but COVID. So the revival has something to say that way. Um, yeah. And it has it has a lot to say about a lot of different things. Um, I mean, the revival is getting conversations going. Um, I think mm-hmm. in a sustained way, you know, because a lot of times the media cycles are like you get a day and then it kind of moves on. We're not moving on for three years. We're going to just keep talking about the same things. Like well, I don't want to talk about this anymore. Mm-hmm. No, we need to keep talking about this. Um, so yeah. I think just the fact that it's going to be talked about for three years is a big deal. Um, Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'm not saying that that's enough, but like that's something that dioceses, that parishes uh, are confronting these questions and that they're being invited to ponder these questions mm-hmm. um, and take serious stock of, of where things are at, uh, not to be afraid of that and to really look into these things, um, I think is a benefit. And the revival just, mm-hmm. again, to continue to carry that forward. Um, there's a ton of prayer and intercession happening. And so that's going to, that's going to bear. Um, as we began the revival, we sent letters to numerous cloistered communities throughout the United States and asked them to pray for the revival for three years. And they said, we, we wouldn't want to do anything other than this. This is what we want to do. And so there's yeah. behind the scenes daily cloister prayer, but also um, through the revival and people can do this otherwise, but we have a spot where people can sign up to be a prayer partner for the revival. And there's 
uh, I don't know if it's 15 or 20,000 people that have signed up for this. They gather once a month on Zoom and just intercede and ask the Lord, like, what do you want to do in America? What do you want to do to bring revival to our country? And just listening to the Lord discerning. And then uh, they bring those um, the fruits of those prayers to our to us so that we can talk about them at our meetings on what we ought to do. So like that's going to impact post-COVID mm-hmm. life in America for sure. Other people are praying, of course. The fact that there's local congresses, retreats, missions um, that are drawing people might draw new people back or, or old people back, uh, but it also might ennoble, um, you know, uh, move the people that do come to go out and, uh, and invite people back. So I think that's going to be helpful mm-hmm. at this time. Um, we're also, uh, we have an, uh, an entire launch called Eucharistic Missionaries. And we're going to be training people through like modern school of mission uh, to get over uh, this anxiousness or this fear or this whatever it is that keeps people like, well, I really want to tell the whole world. It's like, then tell the world um, to, for yeah. them to get over it, either by serving the poor or by just going out and saying, I want to tell you about Jesus or I want to bring you to something. Mm-hmm. So invitation into small groups. We have a big initiative coming out on small groups for the entire country this fall uh, with, uh, in partnership with the Augustine Institute that we think w- is going to really uh, be formative for people and draw people back. So uh, it goes it goes, it goes on yeah. and on and on. But I mean, the fact of the matter is that um, it needs to be said that um, not worshiping God on the Lord's day was harmful um, and virtually uh, participating uh, is not the same as in-person worship. I mean, that just, mm-hmm. we, that has yeah. to get said. <laughs> yeah. It's worth, it's worth repeating to, our, to ourselves and to those who meet. Yeah, one of the one of the projects that uh, was undertaken by my first pastor, and he did this before I got there. I I can claim no credit for this at all. Was he brought back to the parish um, where he was pastor, Saint Pius in Providence in Rhode Island? He brought back the custom of the Corpus Christi procession, and it was an especially remarkable thing for that parish because that parish is still very much a neighborhood parish. It's a walkable neighborhood. People walk to mass, um, and it's it's idyllic. It's a very beautiful neighborhood. And pe- people live very closely, very intimately there, regardless of how connected to the church they are or not. So the procession had a huge impact. Uh, a Eucharistic procession had a huge impact when he brought that back on the Feast of Corpus Christi. And to cap it all off, what he did at the end of the procession was he made that the the annual parish picnic. So there was a big, once the procession was done, it just kind of continued on over into a parish celebration. And the first year, people didn't really know what was going on. Um, it took it took a lot of coordination to try and get people to imagine what a procession would be like, and to understand all the planning and volunteering that that was going to go into to hosting it. But once they saw it, once they experienced it, it, it was suddenly, you know, by year two, it was well, we've always done it this way, you know, and it was just impossible to imagine the parish life without a procession. You know, so one of the things that I've heard the the revival encourage is processions. Um, what would you say to to communities that might be a little bit shy or reluctant to to go out, you know, into the streets, literally taking the Eucharist into the streets in procession? Yeah. Yeah. So at the beginning of the diocesan year this past June, we invited all dioceses to have a procession of some sort. And now as we uh, move into the parish year, we've asked every every parish in the United States of America, 19,000 parishes, to have a, a, a parish Eucharistic procession. Um, so... Um, it's the ask. Uh, it's not the only thing we're asking, but it's it's an ask, you know, because it's part of our tradition. But what's the what's the benefit or what what's an encouragement? I um, uh, 
I have a lot to say about this because I've been thinking about the National Eucharistic Pilgrimage that we're going to be doing in 2024 in advance of the of the uh, Congress. And what comes into my mind, my prayer, my heart, my spirit, however you want to say it, when I think about the National Eucharistic Pilgrimage, and this would bear, this would bear upon a, a local procession at a parish or a diocese, is that I just simply see Jesus walking across America. That's what I see when I when I think of it. I see him walking across America, and then I see him walking through uh, Israel in the first century. And I'm thinking, this is the same thing. It's the same thing. So, like, what's the benefit or what's the good? Well, ask Zacchaeus. What was the benefit of Jesus walking through Jericho that one day? Or ask the lady that had 12 years of a hemorrhage. What was the benefit of Jesus walking by that day? Or ask the kid in Maine and the mom. Uh, who's dead? What was the benefit of Jesus walking through your town that day? What was the benefit of the woman at uh, the woman at the well in John chapter four of having Jesus pass through Samaria that day? Salvation happens, healing happens, resurrection happens, conversion happens. Cities begin to believe when Jesus walks through town, things happen. And um, I, <laughs> that's what I see. That's what I see when I think about. Um, the National Eucharistic uh, Pilgrimage, and when I think about parish pilgrimage, I mean, it's changed in my mind. I didn't used to think that way, but I've been pondering these things uh, with regard yeah. to the revival. And Jesus is, is he's increasing my faith to, to recognize, mm. no, this is him. This is not maybe him. It's yeah. not sort of him. This is him. And he is continuing and perpetuating his ministry. He's not just doing it from heaven. Yes, he's doing it from heaven, but he's doing it from heaven as he is contacting earth through his sacramentactual presence. Sacrament tactual. That's sacrament tac- tactical. Yeah. Sacrament tactical. It's fan stat. Yeah, sacrament tactical. Uh, Father Fantastic, that's that's great. I want to slide on. Sacrament tactical. This the the image of him going around and this kind of boldness that you have and the folks just tuned in. If you want to just flip on it, he's. I mean, there are emotions here. This man is excited. This priest is on fire for God, and he wants you to be that way too. With his arrival, which is great, but it's interesting because this is also a time in America. So one, we talked about earlier with Father Patrick. You know, this isn't revival. Isn't really an American thing, Catholic thing. It's more of a Protestant thing and that's not true historically um it's an american thing and americans are catholics um but secondly at this moment in our in our country there might be some that say gosh post dobbs you know current situation maybe you know we catholics maybe this is a time to kind of you know let's keep a lower profile because you know with the trans all the kind of stuff that's going on wokeism you know we're just going to ride this out maybe or let it sit down for a minute is this the right time to be having this sort of thing and then you say what do you say? Jesus wants to be Lord of our lives. Jesus wants to be Lord of America. Jesus wants to be Lord of the world. Jesus wants to be Lord. He is the Lord, and he wants to manifest his lordship. He wants everyone to come under his uh, kingly uh, power and authority, and um, and we want that too. And so we should have great courage. We should have great uh, faith. We should uh, band together uh, and be be what the world needs the church to be, which is a beacon of hope, a beacon of light. We actually are the bearers of that because we're in Christ. Uh, we're a city set on a hill. So I say, let's go. Uh, let's go. Not, not in some sort of pompous way, uh, you know, at all. And so going back to like the, the idea of a Eucharistic procession, it's not a triumphalistic sort of, you know, we're better than you. It's not a victory march like, kind of ish. It's, yeah, it's, it's not simply a parade or something like that, even though city permits mm-hmm. will say the Catholics are parading through town. I mean, that's 
what they'll say, but it's a manifest, it's a manifestation of our faith. It is, uh, it's going out into the world, going out into the society, which is what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be leaven in the world and light. Um, it stretches us because I think a lot of times when we say, let's just be quiet. It's because like, it was cause I'm scared. Uh, it's like, no, 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 mm-hmm. we gotta, we gotta go out. Uh, it stretches us. Um, do not be afraid. Jesus says to us. So, um, this is the right time. Yeah. It's the appointed time. It's the anointed time. Um, and Jesus will do what Jesus wants to do. Yeah. I have a confidence in graces that the Lord is going to deliver us because this is something that our bishops have called for. And when, when the leaders of the church are asking for something, we, we ought to trust that they've done so believing themselves to be answering the Lord's call. So I have, I have every confidence that the Lord is going to going to offer us that renewal, that re- that revival that we needed, that he's going to bring about marvelous things through the revival. Um, because in fact, he already has. We're, we're, we're already seeing it. It's going on and it's in, and it's happening across the country. But I don't think we're going to do better than that for an ending. Uh, so thanks so much for, for joining us today for this episode of Guest Waning. Um, we'll drop in the show notes a couple links for ways that people can follow the revival, including... The Leader's Playbook, which is full of great initiatives that people might want to take, take a look at for their own parish. Um, otherwise, would encourage you all, uh, again, to share this episode with people that need to hear it, people that can participate and can benefit from thinking about the Eucharistic Revival. Please like and subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. Leave us a five-star re- review. You can comment on how much you love the word sacramentactual or not. You know, I'll let you take that up with Father here. Otherwise, please know of our gratitude and prayers for you, our listeners. God bless.